This is Packers Now. Kyle Rogers looking. Throws left side of the end zone. Yes! Touchdown! Place for all your Packers news. Lost it over the left side into the end zone. Intercepted! Adrian Get the latest updates on the green and gold. Snap to Aaron Rodgers. Sets, fires, right side. Got Jordan Kelly at the 30. Touchdown! It's always Packers season at Packers Now. Right here, right now. I'm your host, Beck Gurkowski, and today what I want to do is I want to go through the receivers coming up in the NFL draft and rank them for you guys. Uh, and what's important here to realize for the Packers going into the NFL draft is while I don't think it's the smartest move to rely only on rookie receivers to come in and produce at a high level to be able to take your team to the Super Bowl, I know that's not the best strategy in the world. The Packers options, though, are very limited, and this may be the best and only route really at this point. There's actually quite a few veteran receivers actually out there on the free agent market who would be great additions to this Packers offense. But the Packers have less salary cap space than you actually think. They have $15 million in cap space, but that's without counting the upcoming draft picks against their salary cap because the Packers have two first round picks, two second round picks, and a total of 11 draft picks. These draft picks will take up exactly probably about $13.7 million. So that would leave the Packers with about $1.3 million left over. That's not much to work with at all. The Packers will hopefully be able to open up some cap space by extending Jair Alexander to a new deal, which could help a lot. Also giving a new contract to Elkin Jenkins too. This could open up anywhere total between the two guys, 10 to $15 million. So there are moves to be made, but I don't think you want to rely on that money right now. You want to rely on those moves for all the in-season roster moves the Packers will have to make to stay competitive, to get healthy guys on the roster. Last year, we saw how important it was that the Packers had the ability to be flexible from July and later on into the season because they signed four big veteran free agents, probably a total of nine guys they took a chance on. Four of them just happened to work out extremely well. And if the Packers are going to do that again, they need to have money to work with constantly uh, there in Green Bay. They signed guys like Rasul Douglas, Devondre Campbell, Whitney Merciless, Dennis Kelly. These were all moves the Packers could make because they had a just a tiny bit of available cap space going into training, training camp and into the season. Without these four players, the Packers would not have even been close to as talented of a team as they were. And they obviously still were not even talented enough to get to the Super Bowl. So not only do the Packers need some late free agency flexibility and throughout the season as well, but because of that, we don't have the money to spend 15 to $20 million on a veteran receiver. We just don't. So we need to rely on the draft and we need to get these picks at receiver correct. So I want to start today by talking about big name receivers I would avoid in this draft. And part of this talk is going to be going to be me helping you realize where I wouldn't value a receiver as high as others probably would. And right away, I want to start by talking about pretty much the consensus receiver one, Drake London out of USC. 
London has had an epic career at USC, was the Bilitnikoff Award winner as the best receiver in college football last season, yet I don't know if he can win the same way he did in college, and that freaks me out. This is a contested catch guy, and time and time again, these types of players don't make it work in the NFL. 25% of his catches in college were contested, meaning he did not have a stepper more of separation. That's not good because that means this guy is not creating separation consistently the way he needs to be able to do at the NFL level. And when he gets to the NFL, these guys are going to get a lot more athletic, a lot faster. And so I don't know if he has what it takes. So for him to be a surefire top 10 pick or top receiver off the board, I'm not doing that if I'm an NFL team, not with that type of fear behind him. And I'm not trading up for that either. Although I wouldn't say he's Nikhil Harry of the New England Patriots, who is literally about to be cut because of his only thing he brought to the table was his contested catchability coming into the draft. He's also not Mike Evans either, okay? Evans is a big receiver, yet Evans had a speed score in the 97th percentile. That's why Mike Evans can be 231 pounds, six foot five, and still so good at the NFL level. If we actually had speed scores for Drake London, I don't think he would be even in the top 50th percentile, which freaks me out. If he falls to the Packers at 22, I would consider drafting him, but I would stay away from him if I were those first teams considering drafting a receiver. The next guy on this list is Traylon Burks out of Arkansas. And the scary thing about Burks is that although he has shown flashes of good receiver play, we see inconsistency in his tape. And the biggest reason why is how he was utilized in college. Burks saw most of his routes from the slot or in the backfield in college. Almost 20% of his routes came from behind the line of scrimmage, okay? So from the running back position on screen routes, flare routes, ghost routes, slide concepts, and then... When he was out as a receiver in college, he won mostly only on slant and go routes. He doesn't have any sort of diverse route running ability. His short area quickness is very concerning. He struggles to create separation on press coverage. And so he most likely will be required to play out of the slot where he won't face press. Um, this is another contested catch guy that doesn't create a lot of separation. And that concerns me again. But that isn't even his biggest concern. Okay. Yes, if you take into account his combine and you take into account his weight, he actually was in the 87th percentile for speed score, which is pretty good. He's pretty fast actually for his size, but there are reports that Burks has weight issues consistently. And if his lowest weight he was at at the combine was 225 pounds at six foot two and his speed score is 105, which the speed score is good. We talked about that, but if he starts to lose control of his weight and he's not able to be at peak fitness levels, that speed for his size, which makes him special, will disappear and very, very quickly. And, and as you get older, it's harder to be more fit. That's just straight up how it works. And I don't think we're going to see a trail on Burks who gets more athletic as he gets older. I just don't, I don't envision that with someone who struggles at weight at a size at six foot two. Uh, Mike Evans is special because he's six foot five. Okay. But he's in 231 pounds, and he's still faster than Burks, extremely faster than Burks. I can't draft somebody who I, as a head coach, have to create open looks for, and that's what Traylon Burks is. He's a run-after-catch, yak type of receiver who I need to find ways to get him open looks and get him the football, When I, but I, I can't have that for my go-to receiver. Devontae Adams was special because I didn't have to create open looks for him, he won by himself. And that's what I need on third down. And this is not that guy. 
the last guy I want to mention of these top receiver prospects, there's lots of other receiver prospects I would probably stay away from in this draft, but these are the top guys. And that last guy is Jahan Dotson out of Penn State. And the thing about Jahan Dotson is that he's he's just not very special. I just think he's not. He's 178 pounds. He's not super athletic. His speed score was just in the 36th percentile. He's another guy who seems to be a slot-only type of player because of his size as well, which I don't want to draft somebody in the first round who is a slot-only player. You can't be that limited as a first-round pick. And if you're a slot guy, you should have incredible agility. Dotson doesn't since 2000, okay? So 22 years ago, of 658 qualifying receivers, Dotson has the 60 second worst three cone of all of them okay and that's without weight adjustment okay if Dotson was a late second round pick I would draft him for sure lots of promise but not enough to be drafted in the first round okay so those are three big guys who names you're going to hear you're going to see um uh get mocked to the Packers okay and probably maybe not Drake London because Drake London's too high up the board but I'm just lo- putting it out there all three of these guys have a lot of concerns, a lot more than their promise. And so now I want to go through the players I do love in this draft at receiver. And it starts with my tier one group of guys. And this tier one has two players in it. And it starts with Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State, my number one receiver in the draft. Of all receivers, he is the second highest grade receiver against single coverage since 2020. Okay, with a 91.8 grade. So he wins against man-to-man single coverage, and that's important. Okay, that's a huge direct correlation to that. And he's also the second highest career. He also has the second highest career grade among Ohio State receivers, beating the likes of Michael Thomas and Terry McLaurin. So even though uh, Wilson is not the biggest receiver out there, he's not six foot one. He's not six foot three. He's not 205 pounds. His catch radius, though isn't of concern. He's 31 inch arms over 72 inch wingspan. Okay. The thing though, that makes Wilson so special is his ability to create separation, which is the best in this class. Wilson posted the highest open rate on staple routes. So open means he has a step or more of separation from the defender and staple routes means the most common thrown routes in the NFL passing game. Okay, and he did this at a rate of 88%. The next closest receiver in the draft is a significant drop down to 81%. And only one other receiver saw a larger share of their targets come on these patterns. Wilson reminds me of Stephon Diggs, and that's the guy I truly think you could be drafting here. While Wilson is not as well-rounded as Chris Olave, the other Ohio State receiver, he carries the class's second-best explosive rate, so 15-plus yard plays um, divided by targets, okay? on staple routes. So Wilson gets open the most and is still one of the most explosive guys in this class on the routes that matter. This is what matters. Actual play on the field matters. And then if you have the athleticism after that, awesome, that's great. But you can't only have athleticism because there is nuance and skill that comes to the receiver position. And Garrett Wilson, although he's not insanely athletic by any means for his size, he has enough to be successful and he's proven it on the field as well in ways that will transition to the NFL. If there was one thing that mattered the most, it's the ability to create separation. And Wilson does that better than anybody in this class. The next guy in my tier t- tier one is Jamison Williams. Okay, and these two guys are in a world of their own. Uh, he uh, Williams comes from Alabama, and what makes Williams special is just the fact that he has stupid, insane 
through the gears speed type of acceleration might be the best we've ever seen better than possibly Jalen Waddle better than Henry Ruggs it's 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 insane the way this guy moves not only that but he has a level of understanding at the receiver position where he plays with defensive backs blind spots and then he makes moves so he has a phenomenal understanding about how to play the receiver position well that most people with his athletic ability usually don't understand because they haven't had to yet he is he has and he understands it and that's incredible he does fight the ball he doesn't have the greatest ball skills which isn't ideal but other than that he's amazing Williams boasts the third highest open rate, so 79% on staple routes, and the number one explosive play rate. In addition, he has a menace after the catch, ranking number one in yards after the after the catch per reception on these staple targets. And he didn't get much playing time at Ohio State, but garnered a 22% target share as a 20-year-old junior after transferring to Alabama. Okay, so if if Will Fuller was healthy all the time, I think that's what Jameson Williams could add to your football team and probably more, honestly. But if Will Fuller is Jameson Williams' floor, Williams should easily be worth a mid-first-round pick. He just turned 21 years old in March, one of the youngest receivers in the draft, and he still has had just a phenomenal season for Alabama. So if I'm the Packers and somehow, somehow either of my Tier 1 receivers are available to me at pick 15... When the Eagles are drafting, I trade up with the Eagles and I get one of these two guys. The Eagles are in this weird spot where they have a couple receivers they they like. And so I don't know if they're wanting to spend one of their first round picks to get another receiver in the room. And to me, that's the spot where I'm making a move to get in front of the New Orleans Saints to draft one of these guys. That's how important either of these two guys are for me. We've seen the Packers trade up in the first round multiple times before for Darnell Savage, for Jordan Love, and I think the Packers would do it again for either of these two guys. And I think that especially because these two guys, I believe, are the only two guys who could become true number one wide receivers. Now, next is my tier two group, okay? And here I have Drake London and Chris Olave. And we talked about Drake London earlier. He's still a great receiver. He just has too many concerns to me to take him as a top 10 top 15 pick. He's or a guy worth trading up for. He's no Jamar Chase, no Jalen Waddle, Jerry Judy, Amari Cooper, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith. I don't think he's better than any of those top three receivers from the last two draft classes. He's maybe a slower Mike Evans, but still he has dealt with injury. He has the young breakout age, youngest breakout age in the entire draft class. So there's probably a lot there that can make him special. I'm just not trading up for him. If him or Chris Olave are there at pick 22, they would be worth drafting. That's my tier two group. So now Chris Olave out of Ohio State. Olave is actually fairly similar to Garrett Wilson, but a, a little different because he reminds me of Keenan Allen more. One of the best route runners in the NFL. That's the type of ceiling Olave has. Great run, route runner. Just hasn't shown the type of explosiveness or uh, tackle breaking ability that Garrett Wilson has on film. And Olave, very similar to Wilson in all the measurables, honestly. It's really just that. Um is that missing explosiveness. And almost half of Olave's targets in college came on staple routes where he generated a step or more of separation at the second highest rate. So it went Garrett Wilson, 88%, Chris Olave, 81%, and then Jameson Williams, 79%. And, um, and what's unique about Olave is he is very good at almost all of these route concepts on these staple routes, okay? In his best grade, 89.6%, Okay, came on the NFL's favorite route to target the hitch where he collected 22% of his looks. So he's going to be able to, from day one, 
run all the necessary NFL route tree and be fairly successful. Okay. Uh, I just don't see Chris Olave. I see him as like his ceiling is a one B type of player. His floor is also like a, a, a number two wide receiver. And that's fine as well. Okay. That's still a good player. It's just, I'm not trading up for these two guys. My tier three group of receivers are guys who have every right to me deserve. They have every right to be drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. I think they deserve that. I think they're that good, but I don't think they will be. So these are guys I would draft in the first round. But if you had early round two picks in the thirties, that would be the ideal place to be able to draft these three guys. Okay. So guys, teams that need receiver at the top of the second round, they are, are going to get some steals, okay? And these three guys starts with the first guy on this list is Sky Moore out of Western Michigan. We've you've heard his name several times, okay? We've talked about him multiple podcasts now, but he's I can't not mention him. He's the highest grade receiver in the country last year. Nobody can stop this guy. His open, his ability to get open, his release package is insane. He makes you miss the line of scrimmage. And it just, just wasn't this last season. He has the second highest receiving grade among group of five receivers since 2019. His concern going into the combine would be that he wasn't extremely fast. But at the combine, he measured in at 5'10", 195 pounds, so a stacked player. And still ran a 4'4", 140-yard dash. Decent jumps. Good short show. Even, uh, but he has these 31-inch arms. Giant hands. The biggest hands in the draft. Sky Moore reminds me of Julian Edelman. His ability to get open, but also kind of reminds me of Antonio Brown as well. His size, being under six foot, may make you think he can only win in the slot. But in reality, I'm not concerned with him on the outside. We've seen him work on the outside. Both Julian Edelman and Antonio Brown won all over the all over the field, and Sky Moore can do just that as well. And in college, you if you watch the tape, he would get bracketed in coverage at times, and still would get open. Um, and and it makes sense why he didn't play at a top FBS program, okay? He played cornerback and QB in high school before switching to receiver. So the position is kind of new to him, and it made sense why he wasn't playing in a Power 5 conference. He was playing at a group of five type of play, uh, college, and that's okay. And what he did at that college was he was fantastic. He was the best guy on the field every single week. And what does make this guy so special and unique to me is the same thing that makes Devontae Adams so good was his ability to shake press coverage, to win at the line of scrimmage. And it makes sense now why he can do that because he was one of the only receivers ever to have a 10-yard split in less than one and a half seconds. And Sky Moore did it in just 1.38 seconds. Nobody I know have know of has run that fast of a 10-yard split, okay? Over the last 10 years, there's been like seven guys, seven receivers who have a... 10-yard split less than a one and a half seconds. Sky Moore did it in just 1.38 seconds. In an unbelievable first-step explosive speed, even though his top speed isn't great, this in itself is going to make him special, and it makes sense why he is so good at the start of his route. Not only that, but he is a yak monster. Uh, he was breaking tackles left and right. He had an FBS high, 26 broken tackles last year. Moore had the number two overall yards per route run and the number two staple yards per route run out of the 24 NFL draft receivers. So only Jamison Williams turned a higher percentage percentage of his slant targets into 15 yards or more. So this guy can create explosive plays as well. Um, he his The one area concern for Sky Moore is his modest open rate. It's not 
uh, as high as Wilson's at 88%, Alave's at 81%, Williams at 79%. And this is the main reason he's in this tier three group is that his ability to separate was not as good as his peers. That doesn't make him a bad player. It just probably doesn't make him as good as these other guys. And that's why he's in this tier three group, which is still a really good group to be in. I truly believe Sky Moore has the potential to be that go-to receiver for Aaron Rodgers with his route running ability. I think he could be your go-to receiver, a type of 1B wide receiver, and he's one of my favorite value additions in this entire draft amidst a very deep group of receivers. Next is Christian Watson out of NDSU, another guy we talked about, but six foot four, 208 pounds, insane arm length, 32 and a half inch arms, 10 and one eighth inch hands. He's going to be a tough player to cover no matter where he is on the field because he's just completely oversized, yet not his weight. He was the FCS player of the year, even though he dealt with a hamstring injury last season, which hindered him. And then we saw when he was healthy at the senior bowl, he was uncoverable there. Okay. And that was huge for him in this process. And early on in his career, uh, or early on in early on in his NFL career, at the worst, he could be your MVS speed, ability to win deep down the field, get behind corners, but way more than MVS because what he's already done in college is that he pro- has proven that he can be a quick, hey, get the football in his hands and be a yak guy as well, which uh, MVS never was. He, this guy tested absurdly well. Okay. Like insanely, insanely well. Four through six, 40 yard dash, 38 and a half inch vertical, 136 inch broad jump. Okay. And athleticism isn't everything, but his speed score, his burst score, his catch radius, all in the 95th percentile or higher for every NFL draft prospect ever. Okay. At receiver. This is a guy in the 98th percentile when it comes to speed score and when it comes to spark score. Uh, which takes into account athleticism and size, he was the most most athletic receiver in the draft as well. So not only is Christian Watson one of the most athletic receivers to ever come out of the draft, as close to Kelvin Johnson as you can get, okay? But we saw him light it up at the Senior Bowl. His grades in college speak for themselves, and his production in college speaks for itself as well. This is a guy who, yes, he played at the FCS level, but I think he has the potential to still be a bona fide number one receiver in the NFL. And this is a guy you're talking about being able to draft at the end of the first round, top of the second round. And that's just amazing. So now the last guy I need to mention, and this is more of a reach than both Christian Watson and Sky Moore to me, but there is reason to believe that George Pickens out of Georgia could also be special. Pickens was coming off an ACL surgery that hampered his ability to be on the field this season. Hurt his on-the-field play greatly. We probably didn't ever get to see a George Pickens who is as athletic as he actually is at the combine either because of still recovering from that injury. So I think we need to think about his measurables a little higher than he currently measured in that. And what makes Pickens possibly special though, is that he came onto the scene at such a young age, a great indicator for college NFL success is war wins above average and Pickens of all the receivers in the draft coming up created uh, per 1000 snaps of war is as elite as any other receiver in this draft class as elite as uh jameson williams as chris Olave, as uh wilson all of those guys as drake london he had a war score 
as high as those guys. It's just that Pickens didn't have as many snaps as the rest of these guys, okay? I'm not exactly sure why he's special, but he is, and he has the attitude on the field, that physicalness that makes him special on every play. What holds Pickens back for me is that he's missing that for sure athleticism. So it's a little bit of unknown right now if we would have seen that elite play this season had he been fully healthy. Um, With all three of these guys in my Tier 3, if the Packers drafted any one of them at pick 28, I wouldn't be mad whatsoever. I think they are that talented to be first-round players. The one thing that is difficult for me is that on the consensus draft board, so a culmination of all the top draft boards out there, Christian Watson is ranked as the 42nd player, George Pickens is ranked as the 50th best player, and Sky Moore is ranked as the 51st best player. So taking any three of these guys at pick 28 is definitely a little bit of a reach, and the research shows that that's just not the right thing to do. But also, the Packers don't have another pick till pick 54. So if the Packers didn't draft either of these three guys at pick 28, there's a real chance they would all be gone by pick 54. So if the Packers are going to get one of these tier three receivers, which I hope they will target at least one of these guys, the Packers will have to use pick 28 or trade back a little bit to draft them. And you'll see how I think the Packers could easily do this in my next mock draft. And to me, this is where my list of true potential game-changing receivers stops. The rest of the receivers are okay, but none of them are going to be wide receiver one or wide receiver type of players to me. But there are two more lists of players I would consider, and those are deep threat wide receivers and slot wide receivers. Deep threat wide receivers, here is the list of guys who have the athleticism and speed that this Packers team needs no matter what before the draft finishes in April for the sake of this passing attack. Matt LaFleur talked about this. We need speed. And here are the guys who can make that happen. We saw last season, the Packers averaged almost another touchdown per game that MVS was healthy in. And the impact that a true deep threat has was shown there for the Packers to be basically a touchdown per game better, which is insane. MVS was hurt for the playoffs too, and that's a game where we obviously struggled to put up points. We need to have a deep threat. Obviously, Jamison Williams, Christian Watson could easily be those guys for the Packers, but if the Packers don't get one of those two guys, it has to be someone on this list. First is Alec Pierce out of Cincinnati, Cincinnati, 4-3-3, 40-yard dash, 40.5-inch vertical, top 10 broad jump. He reminds me of Jordy Nelson, solid speed, great hands, good body control, competitive blocker like Lazard, very twitchy, crisp in what he does, excellent footwork, bend balance, extremely confident hands. And he had a great speed score, great burst, catch radius, yards per route, even breakout age. He's But he's is kind of a one-trick pony at this point in his career. His agility is pretty low, 30th percentile. But Pierce had the fourth highest speed score in this year's draft, the third highest spork score, and was fairly productive in college as well. So Alec Pierce is a third-round player that the Packers will need to get if they only draft one receiver before this because he does have the potential to be a little bit more than just a D-threat, unlike these other guys I will mention after this. Next are round four, round five guys. Tyquan Thornton out of Baylor, Bo Melton from Rutgers, Vilas Jones out of Tennessee. Both Thornton, Jones, and Melton aren't even the fastest guys in this group, but what makes them special is they hit a lot of other important indicators like target share, dominator, breakout age, yard per route. Even Melton was an overall better athlete. He had a 68th percentile agility, which is promising as well. And then finally are the 6th and 7th round players, and these guys are Isaiah Weston out of Northern Iowa, Kevin Austin out of Notre Dame. What these guys add to your football team as most likely the group before this is just a deep threat and nothing else. Basically, think MBS replacement entirely. All NBS did was stretch the field, make defenses, play cover do, and these two guys can do that. Austin is okay, but Weston is one of the best athletes at receiver in this draft class. The only player close 
he is the only player close to Christian Watson in both speed score and spork, yet he's not been a very productive receiver. And he's 24 and a half years old. But for a true deep threat in the sixth round, that's all you could ever ask for. So if the Packers only have two receivers going into the sixth round, this is a guy you find a way to trade up for and go get. And the very last group of receivers that I want to talk about is the slot receiver position. And to me, there are only two guys worth mentioning. And the first is Kelvin Austin, the third out at Memphis. Memphis is, or Austin is currently ranked as the mid third round pick type of player because he's a slot only guy. But I think he has the potential to be the next Cooper Cup. And here's why. While Cup was more productive in college, Austin is very much faster than Cooper Cup. And more importantly, even more agile. Cup was in the 90th percentile for, for agility scores coming in the draft, but Austin is even better, 96th percentile, which is insane. Not only that, but Kelvin Austin was one of the star receivers coming out of the Senior Bowl, and his small slot receiver frame didn't seem to hold him back from dominating the competition there at all. He does have small arms just in the 10th percentile. This is the thing that's going to hold him back from being drafted higher. But even though his arm length is low, his catch radius is actually great. It's in the 76th percentile, which is not as big of a concern for me then. And even though he will most likely be a slot-only guy in the NFL, in college he produced from the outside. He had 90% of his snaps come from the outside. Austin has the potential to be really special in the NFL, and that's a guy I would take a chance on. Okay, Devin Tompkins out of Utah State is the other guy. This is a day three, probably honestly undrafted free agent because of his size, 5'7", 167 pounds. There isn't anyone who's been truly successful at the NFL level at his size. But Tompkins does have the traits to be kind of a diamond in the rough in the small receiver pool that's been tossed to the wayside. At his pro day, Tompkins turned in a 4.35 second, 40-yard dash, 35-inch vertical, 132-inch broad jump, 6.93 cone, 4.18 second short shuttle. He's innate at setting up defensive backs with the stems of his route, which helped him lead the country in deep receptions and yards in 2021. Tompkins ended up with a, an impressive 87.1 receiving grade in his final season in college. His lack of size pushes him to the end of the 22 NFL draft, but Tompkins, I think, has what it takes to overcome uh, the odds of his size. So if for any reason the Packers only grab one of my top six receivers in those tier, th- tier one, two, two, tier three groups. The Packers need to take Calvin Austin in this draft. I know what he adds to this team is already there in Randall Cobb and Amari Rodgers. I know the Packers love Amari Rodgers and think he will de- develop. I'm not too sure. I truly believe Amari Rodgers maybe honestly should just become a third down running back if I'm going, going to be honest at this point. And then I think Randall Cobb, yes, he brings security Rodgers needs, but at Cobb's age, he can't be out there full time. Cobb has dealt with injuries at times in the past. And next year, Cobb is retiring. We need to have a true backup, and I think Austin could be that player. If the Packers only draft a Garrett Wilson, for example, the Packers will have to trade up for Kelvin Austin and have to draft a guy like Isaiah Weston in the seventh round as well. It just has to happen if this team is going to have a productive offense in 2022. And if the Packers do draft three of these guys, not including Kelvin Austin, I think they have to go and make an offer for Devin Tompkins uh, as an undrafted free agent that he can't turn down. Because the potential for him to be our slot receiver only option in the future is there no matter what. And that is the first undrafted free agent I will be pounding my fist for come April 23rd. These are all the receivers I'm seriously considering going into the draft. There are other guys if they fall down the draft board for sure, I would definitely consider. But based off everything I'm hearing, I think the they will be drafted much too high for my liking. So I wanted to emphasize that the guys that really mattered here um, to me. Right now, the Packers have a receiver three in Alan Lazard. They have a slot receiver in Randall Cobb. They have a bottom-of-the-depth chart type of player in 
wide receiver six in Juwan Winfrey. And they have Amari Rodgers, who I believe should transition to a third round running back, third down running back type of player because he lacks the athleticism needed to actually separate at receiver. And that leaves the Packers truly missing a wide receiver one, wide receiver two, and probably even a wide receiver five. And next year, both Cobb and Lazard will probably walk out the doors and have to move on. So the Packers will again be at a loss at receiver. So if they don't address this in this NFL draft, I don't know why not, because we saw how detrimental an injury to one guy like MVS could do to this offense. We saw how teams could shut down this offense when opposing defenses could just double cover Devontae Adams on third and long. The Packers need several legitimate threats at receiver, so they have to have options for Rodgers so he can read the defense, make the correct throw, not just throw to the guy who he expects to be open. Ideally, the Packers come out of this draft with three guys in my first three tiers of receivers. I know that's a lot, but... um, if the Packers are serious about winning a Super Bowl, winning a Super Bowl is not about adding depth to these other positions. It's about giving Rodgers op- options and weapons at receiver, and we have the ability to do that. Receiver is one of the most important positions value-wise on the football field other than quarterback. We need to give Rodgers quality receivers or the Packers won't truly be a, th- a real threat to go to the Super Bowl. The last time the Packers won the Super Bowl, it was James Jones, Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, Jordy Nelson, Jermichael Finley. They had five legit options, and today the league has changed so much, we need that now more than ever. Ever, We need to have a Jameson Williams, Sky Moore, George Pickens, Randall Cobb, Alan Zard, Robert Tunyon. We need to have, or a Garrett Wilson, Christian Watson, Sky Moore, Randall Cobb, Alan Zard, Robert Tunyon. That's how we win a Super Bowl, because if injuries happen, one of these guys is going to go down. It, they have, it happens every year. We have to be ready for it. The Packers have the ability to make a statement about their wide receiver position and how valuable it is. This is the chance to do that and give the Packers the potential to have one of the most surprising, dangerous group of wide receivers in the NFL this season. So that's all we have today, folks. Make sure to stay tuned for more episodes of Packers Now. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, give me a review so I can hear what you guys think about the podcast and tell your friends about Packers Now so that they can get all the latest updates on the green and gold because it's always Packers season at Packers Now. Thanks, guys.